if you were living on Mars in this book, Red Mars by Kim Stanley Robinson, would you take the treatment? Oh, yeah. That was one of my questions, too. Of course. Yeah. Yes. It's a definite yes. Definitely yes. Really? Would you let them mess with your DNA? Yeah. If I were approaching 80 and could feel yeah, younger and live longer, I think so. I don't know if you, I don't know if these guys were eighty when they took the took it. I think so. Oh, uh, maybe not. Maybe because no, they were in there. I think at the yeah, end you're right. The, you're right. They were in their sixties or something, and then they ended up. Spoiler alert: being eighty, I think, right or approaching eighty by the end of the novel. Yeah, that's right. and feeling good, like you said, they're feeling good. So you would do it. You would. Yeah, I would do. I think partly with that question is, would do I want to extend my life if I'm on Mars? <laughs> I can't say. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of that just seems pretty terrifying. If you go, you're not coming back. I think that's it. Yeah, the tricky thing. And obviously, I wouldn't go realistically now with a family. But if I were one of them, I would have gone. It's too hard to pass up. But. I guess, would I want to extend my life there? It's hard to... You look at your mortality and say, yeah. what if I was not mortal? I Yeah. It's always been an interesting idea. Yeah, I guess I would extend it for a while, <laughs> see how it goes. Oh, you would just take the half dose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be too hard to pass up, I think. Landscape seems beautiful. Don't love the idea of how quickly and suddenly it could all end. Although maybe that's the sort of memento mori, you live better knowing that you could die at any moment. Oh. Living on Mars? But yeah, just living in space, I think, anywhere, especially Mars. I think, there's, I think that's always been a bit terrifying in some of these the more realistic, and this is a realistic, pretty realistic, it seems, as far as I can tell. Oh, yes. I'm glad you said that because this one felt, for me... This is life death sci-fi, and it felt like a warm blanket of science fiction that I could wrap myself in. I know Kim Stanley Robinson researched the hell out of this, and if they're not real, the technology is being developed or could be developed. His description of the landscape of Mars and what they were doing on Mars was just incredibly rich and wonderful. I agree. Nice contrast with so many of the more fantastical early stories of Mars. And maybe that makes sense given how much more we know these days than people yeah. did 100 years ago. Yeah. And later on, I want to talk about that too, how that all fits together in the history of it, because that's what we're doing right here. We're reading all of the Martian novels that we can from the very first one that we could get. And it's been, for me, tricky, difficult reading, but I appreciate it. And I, I feel better for it. I feel s smarter f for this project. And you caught me yeah, at a good yeah. time because I wouldn't say that all the time. <laughs> Let's start this podcast. Let's fire up this puppy. This is Life, Death, Sci-Fi. I'm Chris Herzberg, joined by 
a man who would never complain about a dust storm, a man who would never be swept up by the Swiss boogin at Christmas, a man who knows that asking questions is the key to people's souls, one of the best Terrans you'll meet. Eric, how you doing? Thank you. What was the Christmas thing? The can't the Swiss boogin? Yeah, what's Swiss boogin? Oh, that was I mean, I love this scene where he meets the wandering Swiss gypsies. That'd oh, cool yes, yes, fan yes. fiction, right? One of my they're favorite, their, yes. They're just doing their thing. They're not interested in any politics that so much of this book focuses on. And uh, this is John Boone, the I, one of the main characters. My, my favorite character. Yeah. Most most likable. <laughs> and, he was my uh, favorite. Yeah. Okay. Let's come back to that. He's right there for me. He, and he's having this, he, so he's traveling around. This is through the rise in action of the novel, having, meeting people, talking about ideas, learning from them, sharing some things, proselytizing in a way, right? His own sort of vision for a future Mars. And he's taking communion with these traveling Swiss gypsies. That's the word that's used in the novel. And they tell the story of the way they celebrate Christmas. There's a, I think they call it, let me misremember this. Was it, is it Santa Claus or something like that? They had a slightly different thing instead of Santa. And then there's also the Boogan. And, and so the, if the kids are naughty, then it's not Santa that visits them, but the Boogan and the Boogan takes them away if they're naughty. So they okay. live in fear of the Swiss Boogan who will take them away. Oh man. I don't know if I remember that. And I would just love that part. Totally remember this part where he stops with this group. And one of the reasons why he was doing this traveling is because he was investigating the mystery of the sabotages that were right. going on. And so he's trying to find that. But what a wonderful way for the author to introduce us to all of these different groups that were doing, like you said, their own thing on Mars. Because if you can't do your own thing on Mars, where can you do it? Like many of these stories, it has a different sort of Wild West feel to it. They're colonists, right? Colonizing a planet without sentient life. Although Anne, one of the other characters, oh man, feels so strongly about keeping Mars as Mars, represents well, that viewpoint. There were two factions. There was the red faction, which wanted, I guess, to keep Mars like a national park. Don't mess with it. Come and visit, but don't change anything. We'll see what happens because it's so big. We haven't investigated the whole place. And then there was the green faction that wanted to terraform the hell out of it and make mm. it someplace where people could come. And by the way, in this novel, Earth is not doing so well. It's overpopulated and having lots of conflicts. So they're thinking about offloading the oldies. Because mm. these people aren't doing anything on Earth. They're just taking up space. Send them to Mars. And I right. thought, oh, thanks. <laughs> and then yeah. some people just wanted to migrate there to make money and then go back home, which John even told him that's not going to happen. And most of the people didn't like hearing that. 
Oh, I know who your favorite character is. Yeah? It's the coyote. Oh, no. Uh, Do I get three guesses? I would need to know more about the coyote, but in character, I would like to have gotten more about the coyote and maybe in the sequel, because when you said the green faction, the sequel is Green Mars, which I'm curious. And I assume we may get more about the coyote in that one, but nope, you get, you get one more guess. Hiroku. No. What, only also, one more guess? Also. Oh, no. Arcady. Arcadia? Arcady. Arcady. Yeah. Arcady. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably my favorite okay. character. I think John Boone's close, but I just love the, we don't get that many moments with Arcady, but he's just such a eccentric. Full of life. Yeah. I pictured him like you ever seen, I guess it's Christmas here in a couple of days when, at the time of recording. You're familiar obviously with Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. Yes. And in particular that the, of course, the best version of all Mickey's Christmas Carol and the, uh, no, I'm kidding. The ghost of Christmas present is this giant with kind of red hair and a robe and he's a wild man. And uh, yeah, Arcady just seemed just a fun character, interesting views, interesting ideas of yeah. the world, the way it should be and a big laugh, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was the guy who developed the community on the moon. What's the moon's name yeah, on Mars? Phobos. Sorry? Phobos. He started that community on Phobos and did some interesting architectural things. He was the one who said, hey, we're starting a new life, new civilization here on Mars. Why do we want to stick with the old ways of doing things? And that was was a good tension moment. That resonated with me. You make this huge trip, you go all the way there. And that's the tension throughout this whole book, right? We've talked about a little bit even now where it's just, are we doing things the same way that we were doing them on earth? Are we, yeah, creating the same, same kind of world with the same kind of problems? Or are we trying to do something different? And I felt like Arcady, at least initially is trying to do something a little better yeah. and willing to question things in the right way. Yeah. I don't know if we want to get to what happens later at this point. No, not yet. I think we'll get there. But I, let's see, you have here, you're asking the question, why do you think it begins with Frank Chalmers? Yeah, I thought that was weird. I thought that was weird because here you have, spoiler alert, a candidate. It's it's very early on, so it's not even much of a spoiler, right? It's a super flashback. And one of the main characters dies by Frank Chalmers' hand. I think later on he regrets it, but that was a weird way to start the novel because I guess what I got out of that was how, like you say, how tenuous it is and people can die very quickly. Yeah, it certainly establishes that. All that's dying by somebody else's hand or scheme. I don't have a real... Great answer for that. I just want to, want to discuss with you what, why, yeah, why this sequencing, why this order? We start with Frank Chalmers, who's one of the main characters, one of the leaders. He is officially the leader of the American group, and then Maya yeah. is the leader of the Russian. And yet, he's the least likable character throughout. I I really didn't like him at all. Yeah. yeah. And I think the author did that on purpose. 
what I think is that Frank was jealous of Maya's relationship with John. I think that was major. And the other hand, they were political opponents. They, they weren't really on the same side when it came to looking at how Mars should develop. And John being the first person on Mars and then to return to Mars was like a, a rock star, superstar back on Earth and also to the people on Mars. So there's that. I think jealousy was there for sure. It's interesting. At some point I was wondering, is this a romance? In some ways you have these little love stories, right? Arcadia and Nadia being another one that was like that relationship. And we can come back to that. But I think you said like John was in love with Maya. And I don't know about that. I think in the end, it seemed to be as much about power, dominance, like everything for Frank seemed to be about yeah. his himself and his own um, status in this, in his existence. And so his conflict with John ultimately wasn't ideological. I don't think it's even totally clear what Frank's ideology was, but at least all the rest of the characters seem to have a sort of ideology and some values that they live by. And Maya doesn't in a different way. And John certainly seems to be all about kind of power and things like that. And even when he finally, because of the assassination of John, the assassination he orchestrated, he still doesn't seem to love, he has some guilt, a little bit of guilt there. He sees when he's around Maya, he feels yeah. for his reminder of what he's done. Yep, definitely uh, some guilt in there. But, yeah. but then in the end, yeah. spoiler alert, it seemed to me like Frank sacrificed himself to save the others. Kind of, right? But really, his last words were like, were they like, go, you idiot, go? Yes, it was. <laughs> his last words. And it was it, who was driving? Was it Anne? I think it was Anne, yeah. Yeah. And she doesn't drive fast enough. He is a, a man of action, right? He's doing something. But was it really to save all of them? Or was it just like, he's just doing that thing that needs to be done in the moment? For himself as well? I don't know. Oh, did he expect to get back in the... Well, he was supposed to ride on the outside. If she'd started moving, he would have been okay. You, you could ask, how did Robinson feel about this character based on the way that he had him die? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Open to uh, interpretation. Right? I mean, yeah, it's a pretty inglorious way. I guess there's a sacrifice there. There's some glory in that. But if those are your last words and you hanging off the side of a vehicle. I don't know. Should it have been, I love you all. Goodbye. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Something said before, not that. <laughs> I liked Arcady's end. Ooh, I didn't want it horrible. to be. Yeah, I didn't want it to be that. But I think there was something poetic about it because again, Spoiler, he ends up in this sort of oxygenated dome and, or I think so. Maybe it was one of those sort yeah, of giant it? tarpaulins they've got, which is pretty kind yeah. of a cool vision. And because of that, everybody, their skin bodies become flammable. And the last thing he sees is like his armpit starting to flame up and it takes a while before they realize 
poor Nadia has to find him. That was awful. But I just thought poetic aspect for me was just that here's a character who just seemed so full of life and seemed to burn, so to burn on the candle on both ends, just oh, so to speak. So, yeah, okay. okay. And he, he goes up in this red flame, he's a revolutionary in the end. And he just, I felt like he was a character who burned really bright. And so it made, it made some sense to me that he would oh, go out oh, Nice. And yeah. there's a, a, an interesting thing that they did when they were looking around at the ashes and I don't know, even know if there were bones, some bones and ashes. They'd poke around until they found the capsule that identified you. So at least the first 100 all had identifying capsules injected. And that's what we do with our dogs. <laughs> we yeah, yeah. to identify our dogs that they're taking. But I guess it's a high-tech form of dog tags in time of in times of war or military. And I, and that is the first 100 went there and I, but not as a military operation, but it had some similarities to that. And it wouldn't surprise me that they would be tagged like that. But I thought it was a good way to show off a little technology and identify the character. Yeah, I thought that was a dramatic element there too, at that moment anyway, where she's scanning one body to the next. Pretty dramatic, because visualizing sort of portrayal of that. Yeah, the concept of the first 100 was interesting. There was a lot of sort of myth-making, John Boone. Yeah, I caught one reference to John Carter of Mars. Arcady calls Nadia like the princess of Mars. Thank you. The princess, yeah. Burroughs, yeah. That was one of, just speaking of that, I guess, in terms of moments, really enjoyed uh, their flight in the, is it a dirigible? They said it was the largest one ever created. And I just imagine this sort of a version of this sort of hot air balloon, like the one that's in Robinson's other book that we read, The Future, right? Where there, there's these giant airships of people who fly around the earth. And that's such a, that's such a, what a beautiful way to see a planet. Of course, yes. the, the dark side of it, I think that was about what you're about to say. What was the dark side of this trip? What their mission was to place all these little windmills around right. to help create an atmosphere. But what they didn't know and discovered during their mission was that Sachs, yeah. who put... A, a bucket of yeah. uh, goo that would create life in, on Mars. And some of it took, some of it didn't. And they, they just wanted to know which would, and then it would take off and hopefully do good things, but they didn't know. And it was illegal. But by the time right. they got back, Earth said, oh yeah, go ahead and do that. Right, and so right. they were just lucky that happened. Yeah, that was yeah. interesting. It was that a was really nice scene. Nice little yeah. relationship scene in there. And you've got the technologies that, that are going on. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Nadia was the most oh. badass character of all Yeah, things. I was going to say that. Kick-ass, badass yeah. character. She just was the person that made everything work. If something right. broke, she'd fix it. If something needed to be done, she would help you do it. And she just 
thrived on that. So I really, even up until the end, really liked her. One of my favorites. Yeah, she's a, yeah, she's a survivor. She makes it. Yeah. yeah, she's a survivor. Yeah, not as many survivors as I keep. I don't know why I always like skip into the end, back to the end here. But interesting, who survives? Yeah, well, certainly. Uh, yeah, let's put this into perspective. The first one hundred were developers. They got it ready for others to come in, and so when the others came in, there were more little communities around that were domed or were built into the craters and then the craters were domed off, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, so that was happening. And what and the politics you speak of from Earth, the corporations were trying to push the immigration so that they could get the minerals off of the planet, but they couldn't get the minerals mm. off the planet in an economical way until they could get them off the planet without using so much power. So, of course, what they did was they built a space elevator, which was so cool. Mm-hmm. And that technology was awesome. And this is like, what, the third book that we've read that talks about space elevators from the surface of the planet out into right. outer space. The way they did this was awesome. That was my third device that... I'm going to talk about when we get to our favorite devices. Okay, so yeah, they got yeah, the elevator. Cool. They could do all of the migration and stuff, get the materials off. And then like all these little groups that we talked about were building communities or going off and doing their own thing. Some people didn't like this. At first, there was some sabotage, which got John going out to investigate, which was just a lovely road trip. And then it became intense. Spoiler alert, Phyllis is up there, and Phyllis is one of the 100, and Phyllis just wants all the money and power she can get. So she's in this space elevator, just like a chess player moving pieces around. They destroyed the elevator. That was the coolest description though, right? Oh. Or, I mean, maybe not even just the description, but the concept, the idea that this sort of indestructible cord, I can't remember what it was made of. Oh, uh, but it, yeah. it, they sever it from the, is it from the moon? Yeah, from, the, from, from the asteroid where it was made, yeah, right. it yeah. was indestructible. So they couldn't right. cut it. They released it from its source in the asteroid. So the asteroid right. flew off with Phyllis. Phyllis is, mm. <laughs> has no power anymore. And then, right. like you were showing with your hand, the, yeah. the cord came down and wrapped around the plane. It creates twice. Like one description, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, it definitely killed some people, it sounds. So the first time it wraps around twice, the first time it wraps around, it's got a momentum and a speed that if you were like within 1,600 miles or something, yeah, then you could probably feel it or see it. And then the second time it's going so fast that... There's basically no communication from anybody anywhere near was destroyed. And then the description was that now Mars had an equator, like geography maps of one's childhood. Pretty and, cool and visual. That wasn't enough. They destroyed Phobos too. One of my favorite scenes was when everybody went to this one, was it John? Who invited everybody to watch the moon crash into the planet. 
and reminded me of the scene in Andor with all of the comets coming in. It just, it broke up in the atmosphere and then rained down on Mars. Powerful images. And then the aquifers started busting open. And this is something that I thought was a little bit reaching for me because I don't know that there are aquifers with that much water, that much H2O on Mars. That was an interesting scene where I think, again, Nadia is trying to plug some of those holes, right? And save everybody. It reminded me of the Ministry of the Future, the same technologies, big technology. And this is what Kim Stanley Robinson, I think, does so well. He thinks big. He thinks huge projects and huge aquifers and everything is big. And how can people control that? And so he gets some people in there who try and do some things. Yeah. I really enjoyed the realism of it. I think World War Z that I've mentioned before, we read before, is reads like nonfiction in so many ways. A, a yeah, a little bit. I, yeah, I feel like it's just so believable. I feel like this Minister of the Future is like that too. These could be the stories that people would write about Mars if it were colonized or hundred years. I think when we finally do colonize Mars, they'll use some of his ideas and it'll look a little bit like that. It won't be the, the whole story, but There'll be some things that are similar, like the walkers, the spacesuits they had right. to use while they were walking around on the planet. Right. It's a little colder than it is in the Midwest right now <laughs> with the Arctic bomb that's happening. Somebody on the news was saying, it's 31 degrees Fahrenheit right now, below zero for you, isn't it? And the guy said, yeah, it is. It's the wind chill, but it's, but that's what it is. And I think once you get past 40 below, 100 below kind of seems the same. Oh, you need a walker suit like that. That was probably my number two on my list of sci-fi. Okay, device. mine too. Yeah. The treatment, number one, the walking suits, number two. Okay, all right. Yeah, we're matching got- up there. Yeah. Yeah, I thought those suits were especially cool too, the way it might immediately seal around your neck until he's preserved that yeah. rarely. The idea you could, like Nadia, lose a finger, lose some limbs and parts of the body, but it would protect the core <laughs> as much as it could. Yes. I don't know how much, yeah, depending on how badly that goes, it'd be, I suppose that's no different than a lot of the, the soldiers and things that can be saved these days where they can lose so much of themselves, their physical bodies and still be saved, right? Last winter, when I went skiing with my sister in Colorado, my brother-in-law works at A-Basin and he has these boots that are like space boots. And he says, yeah, they're good for 40 below. Yeah, you can wear them. And so there's technology out there right now that you probably could walk around on Mars, survive. Wild. Yeah, I think we're getting close with some of these things. That's again, to come back to Robinson and yelling to a few interviews I've listened to. I think I've heard him 
talked to Ezra Klein a couple of times, really interesting interviews. I don't know if I sent any of those to you, but just super smart guy, full of very knowledgeable, right? About. Yes, you would so have to be. Yeah. And it's also well-researched and, and it all feels so real that you think all these things that he's talking about are possibilities. None of it's fantasy. It's all. That's the science fiction that I like. Like you just said, it's, it's possible. Yeah. Hard, hard science. Yeah. And probably will happen in some way, shape or form. This one had a, uh, some interesting songs and moments as well, I think. Yes, it did. In the last, I don't know, what has it been? Three, four, five novels? There's been music. Is that a cinematic influence? Are we, as part of that, the fact that we're such a visual auditory culture, right? In these, during the time of these later novels, that it's hard not to think and include some music. Like if this were a film, you could imagine these moments where they're playing music, right? The characters yeah, are playing music. As a reader, that resonates with me because if I know the music, then it's in my head and I'm listening to that music now while I'm reading the story. So I really enjoy that. I think that's fun. And I, I like your idea about putting that as a life, death, sci-fi a special. I was jotting them down. I think I didn't quite get the last few, but I'll go back there. Music of sci-fi. Sci-fi songs, sci-fi. Sci-fi songs, yeah. Something like that. In this story, there was a lot of politics, like you said in the beginning of this podcast. And that was one of the things that I actually don't like. And it's been in almost all of the Martian novels that we have read. Now, right. does that come because they're talking, the authors are talking about civilizations and with civilizations, you have to have politics? I'm still struggling with this. Mars is, it's, I guess what, like raw, right? Virgin territory with no people or sentient beings on it. And so then it becomes a, a big what if, a starting over, a sort of rebirth, a mirror of ourselves, right? Is it a sort of... So a, a rebirth. And when these things happen, then you have to take into the account the, the socialness of the right. people who are there, how they're going to come together. One, one of the things that I liked about the 100, the first 100 that were there, is that they had this kind of freedom or they were free of money, nothing cost anything. Right. They could change how they approach things. Yeah. I know when you were saying that, it made me, reminded me of another character we haven't discussed, which is the psychiatrist, Michelle. Yes. Either Michelle or Michel. Mi Michel, Michael. I think he's French. Well, Michel? he's French. So I think it must be Michelle or something. But he, he has this, and that was one of the more interesting passages, a rather lengthy one, I guess, all things considered, of Michel and him being homesick and sick being the real oh, right. word there. He yeah. starts to lose his mind and there's no other real French speakers. He's thinking of home. He feels he's been listening to everybody's problems and everything, but he feels totally disconnected. And uh, A little bit says, suicidal too, I think. 
Yeah. And he says at one point, yeah, absolutely. He says at one point, and we were saying, we were just talking to remind me of this. He said, suddenly it occurred to Michelle that the absence of children accounted for the colony's pervasive uh. feeling of sterility, that they could build buildings and grow plants. And yet without children, the sterile feeling would still permeate every part of their lives. Yeah, that connects with where he ended up in this yeah. in this story. So there's this sort of emptiness without, I think everybody's struggling to find their way. And the one thing that Hiroko and this group does in the stowaway that she has, which is never, I thought, explained enough for my satisfaction, they leave and then they ask Michelle in this sort of, I don't know, highly sexually charged ceremony of sorts to go with them and they just disappear. She and a bunch of others. Yeah. Then she takes all of the sperm really <laughs> of everybody and starts having babies and they create this group that is anything but sterile, it seems. Yeah. Probably we're going to hear more about that group in the second book. Yeah. I, I would imagine. When I put that all together, when I learned about that, I thought, yeah, that, that makes sense. And of course, Michelle would go with that group. When we meet him at the end of the story, he seems so much happier. Wait until yeah. you see. I want to take you there and it's going to be great. And they right. do. Yeah, it seems they to do. have saved his life. Yeah, I'm curious about this place. I think it's enough to keep me reading. Yeah, I wonder what life culture Robinson's imagined for the people living there. And I think that's a theme that is common throughout these Martian stories because they all are moving toward some kind of utopia and how it should be or it could be. Well, everything on earth is just going to hell. Yeah, it certainly seems like it, just burning. Yeah, mass protests, viruses, <laughs> all that mentioned there. And this is 1993 that he wrote it. While I was reading this book, must have been halfway, three quarters of the way through, I was thinking about us talking about it like we are right now. And probably the biggest question that this book posed to me is when they got to the planet and they were developing the planet and they were trying to figure out how, whether they're going to keep it as a park, whether they're going to terraform it, how the societies, groups of people were all going to fit on the planet, who gets to decide? That's That was my question. I thought that almost screamed out at me. Who gets to decide if it's a park? Who gets to decide if you're going to take all of the minerals out of this planet and just turn it into another earth. Who gets to decide this stuff? I thought in this story, there were lots of answers to that. Not satisfying ones. I never got satisfied. No, I thought India and China make a great point about they've got these massive populations, yet as mm -hmm. countries, they only have a couple of votes. It's disproportionate representation based on the, the size of those populations. And that's totally believable. Like that, yeah. something like that would happen either that way or the other way. 
Yeah. I think at that point they were talking about the number of immigrants yeah. right, that could, would be allowed and then to go there. It was either Frank or John said to one of the people, they said, look, even if you had full immigration, full development on this, you could not, you cannot stop your population problem by sending them to Mars. You just don't have enough time there. It's just too many people. It just isn't going to work that way. You can send lots and lots of people, but you're still going to have lots and lots of people, which is the same problem. And when I was in college, I was so upset and I still am upset about overpopulation and what that does to people. And at that time I was thinking, we just put everybody on a boat and bring them over redistribute this population and then we can avoid famine and problems. But even if you filled every ship with people and did it every day, you still couldn't solve that problem. I guess the question there is this a bit dated. I guess I can remember from my childhood, hearing things of overpopulation, sort of problem that would be. And I think today that's not really the worry, right? There's enough technology and food, right? And we throw away enough food to feed everybody, right? There's some waste distribution issues like that, that are, you'd think solvable. And then if anything, it's, there's concerns about decreasing population. I think that's just in terms of I don't know, sales, growth, like retirement, who's going to support larger aging populations and all that. These days, we don't feel like a real problem on earth is that there's too many people. I have never lost that fear. I have never lost that fear. And I, there's still famine going on. They still talk about living conditions and overpopulation, especially in India. Yeah. And China's pretty quiet. We don't even know what's going on with COVID there. Yeah, that's true. But we digress. We digress. Yeah, it comes up in the book. I see in your notes here that you asked the same question that I did at the beginning. Would you do it? You never asked me. Oh, I I said you. I got distracted. Yeah, would you do it? Would you do it? Would I take the, the... Gerontology. Yeah. Yeah. The treatment. Would I take the treatment? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Is that too wishy-washy? Is that too... It is. This is your chance right now. Yeah, you're one of the hundred and they might disallow this in the future, right? Some sort of Mars police will start to control (laughs) who has access to this. This is your chance. You have to decide tonight. (laughs) <laughs> like they were saying on earth if that I'll happened you, I'll, I'll give you a moment to think think about it i was listening to a podcast on impact winter it's name this podcast i've been listening to and now i'm just thinking whether i want to say this because a bit of a, a bit of a spoiler a spoiler for <laughs> impact winter or yeah, for impact red winter. mars Oh, no, we've already spoiled everything for Red Mars. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. So if you're listening to Impact Winter or 
planning to. You should, you might check it out though. It's, it's pretty cool. It's, I guess it's, is it sci-fi? Yeah. Sci-fi, a bit of fantasy. It's, it's an apocalyptic world that starts out with, and there's these groups of survivors. It listens like an old time radio program. It turns out that there's these humans that have survived. There's other groups that are different degrees of vampires. So at some point, the sort of main character is captured and given and wakes up pretty much drained and has to make the decision as to whether or not she'll oh, yeah. choose to be a vampire a or not. Classic vampire scene. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say with that, it's really, it's pretty well done. And then I haven't actually finished it. I was enjoying it, but I didn't love it when it got to the real vampire kind of stuff. Oh, my wife loves vampires. No, she might like this. It's a always a sucker for post or apocalypse, post-apocalyptic mm-hmm. stories. But yeah, vampires. I don't know. At first, I thought they were going to be more like creatures from what's the Will Smith Last Man on Earth. Oh, what's the right. name of the, the film? You remember? Yeah, I, I don't remember, but I've seen the film. It was very well done. Not really vampire. No, but I thought those creatures at first, I thought they might, it might yeah. be like that. Okay. So getting back to what you're saying is taking the vampire way to immortality is similar that to taking the treatment that they were talking about on Red Mars. Immortality. I was trying so to solve for you, but. Okay. So I, I'm going to expand but, this a little bit. Yeah. What? All right. So what happens if you're not afraid of death. What if you believe that there is something after death that is part of the evolution that makes you natural? Well, that's what raises real questions about that. I would say you would never... Find and out I'm that not... we were in the Matrix all along if you never left the Matrix. <laughs> oh, okay. Now we're spiraling tighter. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not talking about religion here. I'm just talking about what life is. Would Anne have taken the gerontology treatment? I think, didn't she take it? I thought did they all did. Oh, we'll have to go back and look on that one. Because she's one that is all for the natural state of things. Yes. It wouldn't surprise me that she didn't, but I just, they didn't make a big deal out of it. Yeah. I can't remember either. But Uh, but I think somebody asked her, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. That's a good question. I mean, it seems right that if we have a birth, we should have a death. Is it a cycle? Is it a, where did the saying, the circle of life come from? The Lion King? (laughs) (laughs) Great answer. Getting back to the story, my impression of this whole book was uh, just a glorious road trip right from the moment that they got on the spaceship was part of that road trip to Mars. They got on Mars, they built their nest, and then they started going out across the planet. As we did that with this story, 
It gave us such a wonderful education about Mars. And then I keep seeing these things about all the rovers that we have. What are there, nine of them or something? And then Hmm. just recently, within the last week, the UAE sent up their first spaceship, their first visit to space, and they're going to Mars with a satellite that's going to track the weather just within the last week. It seems like we're on the cusp of many of these things. I was saying, yeah, even in, I think, cancer, right? Hasn't there, there's been a few breakthroughs. Super breakthroughs. Yeah, where they've been able to do something at the DNA gene level where they're like mm. manipulating things to stop them from attacking themselves. And Yeah. I, know, I'm not I didn't look way, into but... the details of that, but it just was like, super breakthrough. It probably is. Yeah. I think I saw something about a girl. I want to say she was British that now it's been six months. She was supposed to die. It was experimental treatment and they haven't detected anything in six months. Yeah. Cancer free. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that bothers me the most about living on Mars is the radiation and also in space, living in space, Mm -hmm. radiation. How do you avoid that? And it's it's serious stuff. You can't get away from it. We're fragile beings. That's a, another argument for taking the, the treatment. Mars is killing you anyway. You might as well do something to try to slow it down. <laughs> You're trying to talk me into this. <laughs> yeah. So would you take would you take it or not? I'm still in the maybe. I'm still in maybe. Uh, uh... As part of Life, Death, Sci-Fi, your podcasters look carefully at the devices of each book they read and pick out the top at least three that uh, they think are important. Take it away, Chris. What's your first one? The, fir- the first one were, were those gerontological treatments. Yeah, the treatment. And we've uh, talked a lot about that. Mine is the first one. That's the first one for me, too. I think... It's an amazing technology. And like you talked about with the cancer treatments that we have now, I think that will eventually really happen. And yeah, we're going to have to make some decisions and maybe I'll have to get off the fence. I don't know. So you're a yes. Oh, (laughs) Uh I'm still a maybe. I'm still a maybe. And you're a yes, you'll do it. Yeah. Um, But but the thing is, I've been vaccinated many times. I'm all for that. But I don't know about this. Well, that just means you can pick up some like 5G Wi Fi or something once you've been vaccinated. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so the treat the treatments is your number one as well, right? Yep. Then we had the My, same num- number two. Number right? two is the the suits or the walkers. This story couldn't have happened if they didn't have the walkers, some way to walk on the surface without being domed or whatever. They had mm-hmm. to build the domes first. Let me describe the walkers because I got some description of my notes here. Okay. So the walkers designed for the Martian surface. And we're not pressurized spacesuits, but we're rather made of an elastic mesh, which held in the body at the same pressure that the Terran atmosphere would have. 
This prevented the severe expansion bruising that would result if skin were exposed to Mars's minimal atmosphere, but it gave the walker a lot more freedom of movement than a pressurized spacesuit would have. Walkers also had the very significant advantage of being fail operational. Only the hard helmet was airtight. So if you ripped a hole at knee or elbow, you would have a badly bruised and frozen patch of skin, but would not suffocate and die within minutes. See, this is the reason why we have life death sci-fi. This is science fiction at its best right there. And then later on, they changed the color of the suits, I think to an orange or something like that, to better reflect the radiation. I didn't catch that. Yeah, that's cool. What was your third? Ah, I think Kim Stanley Robinson went out on a limb here because, yes, I think this is technology that will eventually happen, but robots that are, I don't know, what do you call, self self aware, self functioning that can build other robots and hmm. other robots to do other things. And those robots can then build robots to do other things. And that's essentially how they built the indestructible wire from the space station. That's how they built the technology so that they could have more oxygen was ubiquitous to what they were doing on Mars. If they didn't have robots, robots to help them to build things right from the raw materials into something that would be helpful to their survival, I don't think this story would have gotten too far. Yeah, I think the robots were, they were on my list as well. I don't know. This is, I don't know if it's sci-fi enough, but I like the dirigible. Yeah, I love the dirigible. Airship. The other one, the Omeg, that Omegendorf, the drug that Boone was taking all the time. Oh. Yeah. That just felt like that was the idea that there's some pill you can take that's just going to equalize you in a way that you need it to. I don't know. It doesn't seem to have all the other side effects. Yeah. I don't know. He was, he was popping those things pretty frequently. Maybe, maybe he was a uh, an addict. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yeah. It's true. That's true. All right. So that was your number three. How about go for number four? What was... If you had a four, oh, I had a four. Uh, we were only going to three. I had a yeah. fourth, though. The fourth was the transportation. I didn't get a clear idea, but these vehicles that were airtight, they had to have their atmosphere. And in the different groups that John went and visited, there were at least two that actually lived in these vehicles. I imagine them as wagon trains in the old West. They'd circle them up and the, you know people could visit each other in these monster vehicles that would crawl across the surface. So I thought that was yeah. interesting. I agree though. I couldn't quite get the visual on those. I did get a visual on the ones that Michelle and the, I don't know, Hiroku's kind of crew was driving at the end. They had these sort of hollowed out boulders and almost pictured them like, oh yeah, you know, like little like potato <laughs> bugs or some kind of like rain. Yeah. Undetectable by, yeah, by the the people who were trying to control the planet. What, yeah. what were their names? Were they called the tr- transpose or because they were? Uh, I'd have to look it up, but they were the ones who were trying to make the money. 
Yeah. So in the end, did John Boone discover that it was Hiroku's group that was doing all the sabotaging? He had suspicions. I think he was narrowing it down to Ar- Arcady. Yeah. Is that, was that the result? I don't know that I, it was clear to me. I, who, I don't think he got it. a total result. I think he got Arcady, the Coyote, and they're connected to Haruku. And, but I lost track of him after Phobos crashed into the planet. I think then you're supposed to connect the flashback to what happens next. Because okay. the, there was a lot of destruction going on. At first, I was really wondering why Frank was destroying things. He w- wanted the whole place to come down, I think. Now I get it because everything else was going to hell. I don't understand why he murdered John, though. I, it's no, I don't either. Jealousy, don't was... power, whatever. Yeah, I don't think Frank's motivation wasn't clear to me. No. If I was to change anything in the book, I would change the beginning. That That scene was confusing to me. And Frank's character wasn't... I understand Frank's character, but he didn't murder anybody else, did he? He just murdered his friend. Friend, enemy, frenemy. Yeah. There's a part in that early passage where he's walking through the city and just starts throwing rocks. Yeah. And hitting random people. It's a bit of a psychopath. And then the dome sprung a leak as well. I don't know. Yeah, and then it got into the story. So we're left with that kind of, what? What's going on? And then the story begins. I'm a little unsatisfied with that. It leaves you with the hope that the tension there will be resolved in some way. I didn't feel like the love story really satisfied that. In the end, you start with no real feelings with John Boone, but then given that we spend more time with John Boone than anybody else. We end up really feeling connected to him and feeling for him, but we know he's going to die. So do we feel more for him knowing that will be his end? Okay. Maybe. Yeah. All right. Dramatic irony there maybe. I don't know. Shall we, uh, shall we take this podcast to the bar? Which bar are we going to? Uh, I just to- I totally failed on this. So sorry. What? Yeah. What? Sorry. Where was the area where everybody came to watch the oh, the shoot. moon crash into the planet? I think that was a big party there, and I maybe we should join them. Yeah, I don't know why. I just I don't know. Maybe we could record it later. What do you think? <laughs> We've never done that. <laughs> we've said that, but we've never done that. I don't know. Is that a bad? Is that bad? No, it's Maybe. just it's just what Different. what it is. The perfect moment would have been like John's party or something, with people chanting, well, or in one of those caravans, like the with the yes, oh, the, with the dancers, yeah, for sure, yeah, the chants and stuff. I don't know, just drinking strong coffee. We have to read the last book of our Martian journey from the earliest literature to mm, the most current, and that is The Martian by Andy Weir. I'm really looking forward to that.
I'm eager to read this one. It's such an interesting idea of the Martian, but the Martian is a human. One thing that we didn't talk about, just a small idea, but I thought it was pretty interesting that back on Earth, all the people were watching this unfold in clips as if it was a Truman Show style reality yes. TV. And, that was- and they're all superstars, all the 100 they had. Yeah. And it's the reality shows that we watch right now on the island, Love Island or one of those kind of crazy things and the 100 on Mars. Yeah, I right. can totally see that. Yeah, that would be a fun, I guess, fan fiction short story or some kind of several seasons if this were a some sort of series, right? Yeah. About how yeah. it's being portrayed on Earth and some of that involvement. The outtakes of the original Yeah, the series. conversation about, yeah, how they wanted to control whoever on Earth is broadcasting this. Is it just being live streamed? Can't be, right? There's probably too many clips. So which ones are they choosing to air and which ones aren't they? Yeah. Kind of and the ones they air. fake. Right. Yeah. yeah. At the end, when it was all falling apart, right? They weren't exactly showing what was going on. It was, uh, yeah, something's going on Mars, but you don't know exactly what it is. And then they pin it on the 100, which exactly. causes Frank to to flee ultimately with them. They're all brought back. Yeah. The band gets back together again as they escape since they're all being framed. I like that scene when they got out of the dome that was collapsing and they knew that they were being hunted and they communicated, oh, on the special 100 channel or band, we've got to get a life death sci-fi band so that we can communicate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then they cut through the dome and jump into the caravans that look like boulders so they can't be traced. The coyote and John's blood, son by DNA. Oh, that's right. That's right. That was a cool scene when they broke into his vehicle in the dust storm. They just showed up in the dust storm, knocking on the rap. Can you imagine? You're out in the middle of nowhere. He's rapping on the... (laughs) Where'd these guys come come in? Whatever it is that makes him fall asleep. He's holding something and they... They're using some kind of set. It's, you know, it goes through the nose, right? This kind of nasal, uh-huh. and that makes the connection with Heroku there more tenable because she's all about the plants and the botany of everything. Right. This would be a cool series. It's only a matter of time. I'd watch it. Yeah, definitely. Should make Ministry of the Future into a film too. These are so big; it'd be hard. I guess it'd have to be a series. It's just too much to put and pack into a movie. Yeah, and that's what he does so well is he makes big understandable. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, there's a nice balance there. Like you said, it's not so political that it's in your face, pontificating. There's enough politics and everything that I think needs to be there because I think that's what this genre is about. But you're right. It's not just that. There's enough balance of science fiction, like you said, that makes it a fun 600-page book. Yeah, yeah. There's just enough balance of descriptions of Mars, character relationships, action, drama. It's a sort of, it's a soap opera. You get it? It's a yeah. soap opera. Like a, yeah. an epic drama. He does a good job, I think, of moving through time where we get 
chronology of it, some skipping from this decade or that decade, and it all works the way that it, that it, it's spans so much time on Mars and the vastness of the landscape as well as the time. So time and space, he seems to traverse that pretty well. In order to keep his characters that he's been developing, then we need the treatment. Otherwise, you couldn't have the same characters from the beginning of the story in the end of the story. It's just right. like so lifespans aren't that long. Not only a sci-fi device, but a plot device that works. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Right. We wouldn't have. Yeah. And it would be unrealistic if they were a bunch of, that would be the Hollywood version, right? They're a bunch of 20 year olds getting on this (laughs) (laughs) off to Mars, a bunch of sexy 20 year olds getting on a rocket. Yeah. It was problematic for me, a little bit of a slowdown when he was talking about them on the spaceship and forming relationships and the politics on the spaceship. It seemed crowded for me. Yeah, I agree. I I agree. That was sort of the focus on Maya for a lot Mm -hmm. of that. Yeah, I agree. It picked up pace for me once we got to Boone. Literally, he's moving, right? And so it just felt, I don't know, the ship seemed slow. And with Boone, suddenly it was like, okay, now we're getting, we're on Mars, we're moving, we're meeting people. It just started to pick up pace from there. Yeah, exactly. We needed what preceded it in order to, I don't know, to feel how big it was or how these characters ended up on the different places that Boone went to, to meet them or see them. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Good, good story. All right. Okay, so, so the Martian. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas.